0: Amen. How y'all doing? Good. We are um, starting a new series called Rekindle. It is our series that we are uh, in a season of the Christian calendar called Lent. And Lent is a season uh, right between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday for the church to look at what does repentance look like turning away from sin. Um And really looking at how we have a desperate need for a savior. This is often a time that's accompanied by fasting. Uh, Our church did our fast at the beginning of the year. That's just how uh, our church does it. um, But you'll see in the next steps, my admonition to you is during this series and during this time uh, between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday that you would give something up. i leave that between you and the Lord, but that you would give something up during this season as you look at what do I need to repent of, turn away of, and what are the things that's causing me to stumble in my relationship with the Lord? Um, I'll start with this. I, I may lose some points in some man card, on my man card when I say this, but there's a television show that I like that as a as a brother, I don't know if I should be sharing. I haven't told any other guys about this, so you'll be the first. It's called This Is Us. This Is Us. Mm. And I mean, millions of Americans watch that show, so there's some <laughs> undercover brothers that may not admit it, but hey, I admit it. Here's why I love the show. Because a father never dies I mean, it's crazy. If you've been following this series, then you know somewhere in one of the seasons, uh, the father, Jack, he dies, but every week after he died, he shows back up on the show again. And what they're doing is they are causing the, the viewers to reminisce about a time in the actor's childhood where the father was alive. For them to reminisce, they're in their 40s, but they'll reminisce back to when... They were teenagers and little kids, and they'll just be thinking about those times where things were simpler, where things were easier. And I wonder, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, do we remember the time when we were just starting out in our walk with Jesus? Do you remember? Do you remember what, what that time was like? When there was a joy to, to learn to pray, like you would ask questions like, when I kneel down to pray, what do I say? Or you would ask questions like, uh, in, in John 3, 16, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, what, it, what does that mean? I'm afraid some of us have been so inundated around church for so long we either forget or struggle to remember when it started. I grew up in church all my life, but I can remember around the age of 1920 when it really started for me. When nobody had to made me go to church, make me go to church anymore, but I went cuz I loved them and I wanted to be in his presence. Do you remember that? Do you remember the joy that was associated with that? Do, do you remember the freshness of being in the presence of God and, and not wanting to go anywhere and not want anything to change? Do you remember when someone asks you to do something for Jesus? Jesus? Are you thinking, man, I'm doing this for God, the freshness of it? Maybe you're here this morning, you would say, Rodney, somebody invited me here, I'm here because I'm coming with somebody, I wouldn't call myself a Christian, or maybe, I don't even know what that feeling feels like, I, I, I just come to church. Oh, that you would be a believer. Oh, that you would know the joy of the fellowship of walking with Jesus. I remember. My prayer is if you remember, my next question then is what happened? If you haven't experienced that, man, my prayer this morning is that you would, my prayer is that this morning when we give a call to prayer, that you would come up and you would you would talk to somebody that's, that's up front to pray with and that you would want to grow and learn in what it means to follow Jesus. But if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the question, what happened to that freshness? Maybe we're just so busy and we're just so distracted. There's so many things that go on in our lives, and it's it's hard to hold our focus. Maybe we're like the people we're going to talk about in our passage. Maybe we've gotten bored. Maybe we say stuff like, man, this is living this Christian life. Where's where's the excitement to it? Maybe we've grown bored or too Common with God. Maybe that boredom is a result of a sin that you practice that seeks to rob the intimacy from you and Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you're offended. Maybe God did something or allowed something that you didn't like. You couldn't have control over it. Or maybe God didn't do something that you thought he would do, but but he didn't do it when you thought he would do it. And maybe you're thinking, what kind of God wouldn't step in right there? And so, yeah, I'll keep going to church. I'll serve. But there's no intimacy with me and Jesus. I'll I'll go to my community group and I'll I'll eat and I'll fellowship and I'll hang out, but there's no real affection between you and Jesus. Here's the question for the series: What happened to the affection? It's 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 not. I'm I'm not talking about just just fresh. It's it's like someone when you're you you're, you're you're dating. And you first dating, you can point out a couple that just started dating. Because they got the, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the giddies, right? And it lasts for different periods for different couples. Praise God if you got some years in the game and you're still giddy, praise God for that but I'm talking about affection and affection can be seen after 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years in couple. There's there's, there's some stuff that's been built up and I'm still affectionate towards you. I still love you. I'm still all in and I still care about where we are. I want to make sure me and you are good. Are you like that with Jesus? Or has your affections wane over time? My prayer for this series is that God would teach us from his word. How do we get back our affection? My prayer for this series is that God would not just rekindle, but revive. That he would shake us. That he would grab our attention. So that we can grow what time is it malachi malachi old testament malachi chapter 2 looking at verses 17 through verse 5 in chapter 3. reads as follows you have wearied me the lord with your words You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him, talking about God? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and that he, God, delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Verse 1, chapter 3. Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to our Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the day of old and in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment I will be swift, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Two points this morning from the title Rekindling My Affections for Jesus. Point number one: God on trial. Point number two, Jesus, in my affections. Let's go to God in prayer again. Father, thank you. Thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for this word. Lord, with this word, do what it was called to do this morning. You've given this word to your people at this time for your purposes. I pray that it would accomplish those purposes in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that no distraction would stop it, no, no, no wayward thinking would stop it, no unforgiveness would stop it. Would we let the word land in our hearts, that the seed of this word would bear fruit? God, and we thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Point one: God on trial. Uh, Before jumping into Malachi chapter 2, it would be weird or awkward if I don't give you some backstory on this book before we get to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. So I want to lay a little bit of content or context for you. Um, Malachi is a prophet of God, and here's the prophet's job, this is important, to tell the people what God said on behalf of God. He's not to sugarcoat it. He is not to make it palatable necessarily. His job is to tell the truth about what God says. And in chapter 1, he's, he's writing his book, and, and, and it's almost as if it is written, if you read the book of Malachi, it's written as if you're in a courtroom, and the people have put God on trial. And so if you read just the first two chapters, you see this back and forth between what God says and what the people would say. I want to give you a little bit of what that conversation in this courtroom would look like. God starts off in verse one, and here's what he says, I love you. What a good way to start a conversation, especially after they brought you on trial. You bring me to court, that won't be the first thing. But God on trial says this to his people, I love you. Here's why that's important. Everything he's going to say to challenge his people is rooted in his love for his people. So catch the content. He's, He's having this discussion out of his affections for his people, even when his people struggle to have affection for him. That's why only God can be God. That's why you can't be God. I can't be God. His his message is rooted in love. Let's see what else he says. The people come back. They get their turn, and here's what the people say. How have you loved me? God responds, didn't I choose you? Can I just this is the ebonics version? You got to read it for yourself. This is the Rodney translation, okay? Just read the first few chapters. You'll see what I'm saying. The people come back and said, How have you loved me? You don't love me. It is almost as if a married couple is arguing. Girl, I love you. Healing on me. Well, what do you say, guys, if she said that? Didn't I marry you? <laughs> and that's exactly what God says. God says, Didn't I choose you? Not that there was something really special about you. You were a small nation. This wasn't a big deal to be the nation of Israel, but didn't I choose you before the foundations of the world? What do you mean? I don't love you. His, his, in, in, in other words, one of the ways, there are many ways. One of the ways you can be confident in God's love is the fact that He chose me. When I consider me. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes to get people to understand uh, the, 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 the the, the, the breadth of their of, of their sin you are sinful you are a mess you are trifling you are messed up you got yes you you got issues and yet he chose me he set his affections on me he says did not choose you he says, "Didn't I lay my goodness out on you? Not it'd be, one, it'd be good enough if He chose me." I'm like, "Let me make it in the number." Praise God, I, I, I made it in. Whoop, okay, I'm in. I'm good. Look, He chose it, but He doesn't stop at choosing. Then He lays out His goodness on Israel. He lays out His favor on Israel. He lays out His provision on Israel. He lays out His protection on Israel. And here's what he's saying, based on how good I've been to you, your response is not measuring up to how good I've been to you. He said, I've poured my goodness out on you. And then he says, if I am a father, if I am your father, where is my honor? You call me father. Where is the honor of a father? You call me master. Where is my respect? He says, you have despised my name. Now, here's what this means. This is why this is important. Your name is your character. When God says, you have despised my name, here's what he's saying. You have insulted my character. You have spoken against me that is contradictory to who I am. You've spoken on my holiness. You've spoken on my faithfulness. You've spoken on my. You've spoken against my love. You have. You have assaulted my character. That's what he's saying. And they say how? He says, "Look at your worship." He says, "You've been bringing me sloppy worship." <sighs> when it's time to offer animals to me. You don't bring me your best. You bring me the lame. You bring me the sick animals. When it comes time to worship, you don't lift your hands. You don't lift your voice. When it comes time to pray, you're too tired. When it comes time to give, it's too tight this month. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus is watching the service and it's going on. And he's sitting there watching the offering. He's watching what his people bring. That's the kind of sense that I get from the book of Malachi. He's watching our worship, not just worship in a service. You'll spend 90 minutes here and 167 outside. He's not just watching on Sunday. He's watching all throughout your life. And he's saying, look at your worship. Worship Worshiping a song is what you do with your life. Look at your worship. He gets to a point where he says, don't kindle the fire anymore. Then he says, this is cold-blooded. He says, shut the door. That's what the book says. He says, until y'all figure this out, come back when you figure it out. You've offered me sloppy worship. You haven't offered me what I'm worthy of. Not just that. Then he says, outside the church, you're committing adultery. You're cheating on your your spouses and you're cheating with people that's from foreign nations and, and worshiping foreign idols and, and you're not raising up a godly generation for me because you won't stop cheating. Here's the people's response. So most comical. Hold on. He said they say, I'm so tired. You would think they would repent. No, not no. Just like many of us. We'll hear a convicting word. It will say, ooh, boy, oh, boy, ooh, Pastor Rai, he was, ooh, you was talking to me. Well, there goes Monday's routine. Here's what they said. I am tired. I am weary. They snort their noses at God. In another translation that says, they are bored of him. Here's what God says in response. Shall I accept this? He says, I am a good king. I the other nations will 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 worship. Shall I accept this from Israel? We don't think God knows who he is. Then he goes to the pastors and the leaders. He tells the pastors and leaders, the priests of that time, he says, obey or I will take away your blessing. He says, even your children will be affected. That's a super clean virgin. In other words, he's saying, I'm not playing with y'all pastors and leaders and priests. It's a serious thing to be a leader in God's house because we set the course for other people. He tells the priest of that time, two things I want you to do. Be in awe of me and teach the truth, not what folk want to hear. Preach the truth, whether they get excited or not. Preach the truth, whether they stay or not. Preach the book. And then we get down to verse 17. And here's what they say. Everyone who does evil, God, in your sight... You delight in them. Then they ask, where is this God of justice? Let me say it in a way for 2020 so we can understand. My cousin don't even come to church. It's just seem like his life blowing up. There's some folk I follow on social media. They don't name the name of Jesus. They don't call themselves a Christian. It's stuff just going great in their life. Folks that do evil, it looked like you blessed them more. Where is this God of justice? They got God on trial. In other words, here's what they're saying. God, you won't provide for me, and God, I can't trust you to protect us. Here's what's big on this. Y'all listen to this. The heart that says, you won't provide for me, and you won't protect me, will eventually say, why bother? I thought you would do this in my life by now. You didn't. Why bother? When I thought you would protect me from this harm, you didn't. Why bother? And then we spiritually moonwalk away from anything that says or looks like God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever said stuff like, if I come to church today, is it gonna make a difference? I'll just skip a couple of weeks and then come back and see if I feel better. Or I don't wanna be in a community group, huh, just, it's, just, it's just not for me. It's, just, it's just too much. Just, this idea of, of, of gathering with other people, uh, I'm fine by myself. Or maybe I'll try something else to be happy. Maybe I'll, I'll trust alcohol or some other substance to get me through. Or maybe what I need is different kind of people. Yeah, that's right. I need to leave the people I'm around now. And if I get around the right people, everything else will be better when it won't because you're going there. You've been there where you said man I'm going down to pray but honestly man why even bother or I know I'm supposed to be in my CBR journal and reading this but what difference is this really making in my life can I help you track back there's been a breach somewhere you didn't just get there Satan in his shrewdness is 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 navigating your affairs Somewhere there's sin. Somewhere there's contempt against God. Somewhere there's some blockage that's happening that's causing you to treat God this way and put him on trial. So here's the question. How does the wandering heart rekindle its affection for Jesus? Point two. Jesus and my affections. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. I know. I know. It. You can't say amen because I'm standing on your shins and, and preaching hard at you. I get it. But I want to be clear. Here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to pump you up so that you can save yourself. Yeah, I don't have the fire that I used to have when I prayed, so here's what I need to do. I need to pray for a whole day. That's it. That'll get the fire back. I don't feel this affection that I used to feel for Jesus, so I just need to lay out for a day and just worship him for a day. Maybe you do. But that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying try harder. I'm not saying make a laundry list and just check off the items to get your affection back. I'm not just saying serve more, get in community. All those things are good, but they're not the foundation. So here's the question again How can my affections for Jesus be rekindled? Let's go back to the text. They put God on trial, and then look what God says in response. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Behold, I send my messenger. I send my messenger. I send my messenger. I send my messenger. Look out, I'm sending my messenger. How does God respond to people who have lost affection for him? He doesn't say do something. He sends someone. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Here's a question on the table. Who's this messenger? Malachi is a messenger, but he's not the messenger that God is talking about. John the Baptist is a messenger, but that is not the messenger that God's talking about. And here's how we know, because later on he'll say the messenger will be in his temple John the Baptist don't have no temple. Malachi don't have no temple. Jesus has a temple. What he is promising to stir our affections back for him is Jesus. Another way we know this, because he says in the text, who can endure his coming? In other words, Jesus is going to come with so much radiance and wisdom and power and might that no one would be able to endure it. What you need when your heart runs dry is Jesus. When when, when you're too tired to serve, what you need is Jesus. When you don't want to give, what you need is Jesus. When you don't want to pray, what you need is Jesus. Are you seeing that? He is the messenger. And this is good news for us because we can't fix us. If you could fix you, that your affections would be on fire 24-7. But because of sin, you can't fix you. So he has to do it for us. Not just help you be better, but rescue you from your sins. So that you can live a life of surrender for Jesus. So how does Jesus do this? Okay, Rodney, I got you. My affections have waned. Jesus is the answer. How does Jesus do this? Let's look at our text. It says, verse 2, For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. I put a picture of a rock in the background if you can put that up. If you were going outside and you saw that rock on the road, you probably wouldn't pick it up and put it in your pocket or pick it up and put it in your car and put it on your shelf at home. But that isn't any rock. That is a gold ore. And what a gold ore is, it's... It's gold inside of it, but it's surrounded by other materials and impurities. In other words, it is gold, but it's not done yet. So here's what God says. God says, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to refine you. He's going to put you in the fire. This is good news, y'all. If, 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 you're, if you're here this morning and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or, or maybe you would call yourself a Christian, but you're just having some challenges in your faith, I want to make sure you understand who Jesus is and what he does. He's, he is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is understanding. He's all those things. And yet... He's a refiner, and the way he refines is putting in the fire of affliction, the fire of testing, the fire of persecution, the fire of of, of things that's going to cause you to look more and more like Jesus. Here's the truth. Nothing rekindles our affection for Jesus like fire. I'm not gonna pretend I know what a refiner person does. 2020, living in South Florida, we don't do refining, right? But I can see Jesus sitting down, putting the substance into the hot fire and burning away all of the impurities. What is his aim and objective? The refiner's aim and objective is getting gold. What is the aim and objective for Jesus in our life? Getting God's glory out of our life. What's his objective? Making us look more and more like Jesus. And a good refiner would turn up the heat to get the result that he desires. Beloved, one of the ways, one of the ways, one of the ways God stirs our affection back for him is he let us go through drama. He lets us go through testing. He turns the heat up in our lives because maybe he's been trying to get our attention in other ways and we have been ignoring him. So what does he does? He turns up the heat. He'll turn up the heat on stuff like your job. He'll turn up the heat on stuff like your money. He'll, he'll turn up the heat and let your pridefulness come to an end. He'll turn up the heat in your relationships, in, 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 in your practices, in your business practices. He'll turn up the heat in your dreams and, and the things that you want to accomplish. He'll turn up the fire in your life. Why? Because he's a maniac? No. He'll turn it up because he's going to use that to make you look more like Jesus. So, what is his aim? Look at 2 Timothy, verse 3 through 12. It says this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. Not some people who desire to live a godly life. All who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. What does that mean? You are in a unique minority. We live in a post-Christian society. It will become more and more ridiculous to tell people that you're a Christian. You will be mocked. You will be persecuted. You will be cast aside. It's coming if it's not already happening to you now. So we need to know that. If, if we're going to live godly, we'll suffer persecution. Not just that. Hebrews 12, verse 6 to 11 says this. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. That's good news. In other words, it is because God loves me that he disciplines me. If he didn't discipline me, it would be an indictment on his love for me. It is because he loves me that that he disciplines me and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? In other words, he loves you too much to not discipline you. He loves you too much to not confront your sins. He loves you too much to let you keep going up without you dealing with the thing he's calling you to deal with. The Bible says your sins will find you out. He loves you too much to not deal with your attitude that's pushing people away when he's called you to be an agent that draws people to him, but he got to deal with your attitude. And one of the ways he does that is through testing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation or no test has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. That's medicine in that text. Here's what this text is saying. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. You're going to go through challenges. But here's some good news. God is faithful. He is the refiner. So he he is doing his work as a refiner. He is turning up the heat in our lives. But he knows how far to go. And his aim is not to destroy us. His aim is to refine us and help us to look more like Jesus. And he's more concerned with the product than your happiness. So his aim as your Lord is not necessary to make you happy. His aim as your Lord is to make you holy. And if that's the case, if that's what he's doing, if he's doing this deeper work in your heart, you can trust the temptation or the test because you know my God loves me. Remember how he started. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he's faithful. Look what else it says. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, if, if everything is good in your life right now, this is it's, it's hard to connect the dots. But just, just keep breathing. Just keep waking up every morning and see what happens. This is something that I think about sometimes. I, I think about, Lord, what is the next test? I, I, I know it don't make sense to think that way. I know, uh, Rodney, enjoy the moment. I know the test is going to be hard, so don't look for it. I know, but I just have an incur- I'm, I'm a curious kind of guy. So, God, what is the next test and challenge in my life? Here's the thing about the test and challenge. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know how painful it's going to be. And you don't know how long it's going to last. But here's what you do know. You may not know the test, but you do know the tester. And here's what I can tell you about the tester. He faithful. He loves you more than you love you. And what he's making in and through you is better than the you you are now. So when my testing comes, maybe your test is tomorrow. You know that it's coming. When your testing comes, you can embrace it because God is faithful. Faithful. And I also can make the most out of it because I know the reason this testing has come is because he's trying to conform me into his image. He wants me to look more like him. This is why you put me next to that cubicle with that person. This is why I married who I married. This is why my kids have this this disposition. There's something else that I would more uh, comfortably uh, be more comfortable with. He's making you. That's why you're still in South Florida. He's making you. That's why you got the degree you got. He's making you. It's his process. This ain't happenstance. He's sovereign. He's in control. He knows what he's making you to be. And the you that he's making is better than the you you are now. Bad grammar. Good theology. The furnace is hot. If you've ever been in a, a test if If you've you've ever been in a real trial and real persecution, it's hot in there. But the safest place to be is to be in the hands of the refiner. Here's why. He knows me. He knows what I can take. He knows who I am. He's been with me all my life. And he knows the fire. He knows what the fire does, and he he knowingly put me in the fire and and is causing me to stay there. He's not pulling me out before I'm done. And because he knows me and he knows the fire and he knows how long and he knows when to start, I can trust it's painful, but God's at the wheel. It's painful, but he is not a God of evil. He is a God of good. It hurts, but I can trust him in the midst of it. And in that, your faith is being purified. He's, 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 he's drawing away all of the other elements that lowers the value of the gold. And he's skimming it off. He's skimming the dross off of the gold so that the value is increasing with every swipe away of the dross. And now you, you don't pray because it's a 21-day fast. It's what you do every morning. He's skimming away the dross. And now you don't go to the Word to figure out what you're going to say to this person that you've been sharing the gospel with. No, you go to the Word because that's your diet for the morning. Now you're not afraid to share your faith. Why? Because I know for God I live and for God I die, so I don't even care what you think about me. You're you going to get this gospel what is he doing? He's turning up the fire. Why? So you can look more like Jesus, but not just the fire. Then the text says, or he'll use fuller soap. Fuller soap. What is that? It's a substance made from plants that when you dip your your, your, your garment or your robe into that soap, it would actually bleach it it was a way to discard sins. If you couldn't get the, sin out by the, the, the stain out by any other means, you would dip it in this soap. It was a way to save dirty clothes. One of the good news about the, what Jesus has done is he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. He has taken away the shame and the guilt. He has, he has, he has cleaned us when we could not clean ourselves. He does that through his blood. So, yes, he tests us. But he went through the ultimate test for us so that he may wash us in his blood. But not just that. Look what verse 4 says. This is the proof of this text. Then, after the fire, after the soap, then, the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old rekindled and as in the former years rekindled I don't know if y'all Do you man? I remember being in a conference in the presence of God, and I'm walking home like this because I don't want to step on no kind of insects. I just, Lord, I just want you to be pleased. You know, I don't want to say no slick to my mama, so I'm just gonna go straight in the room because I don't want to ruin the fellowship we got. It's so sweet, Lord. I want to be your boy, Lord. I want to be your servant, Lord. Use me for. It was just. Do 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 you remember? Well, here's the good news. If you remember, you can get back there. You can rekindle the affection. Rodney, how do I do that? You make the most of your fire. You remember the cross that he cleansed you when you couldn't clean yourself. But here's the next thing. Because some will say, Rodney, those are two things that Jesus does. The fire, the cleansing, that's Jesus' work. What do I do? 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. Look at the text again. But if we walk in the light, hold on. That's our responsibility I, I, I told you what Jesus did, Now let me tell you what you and I need to do. We need to walk in the light he provides. He walk in the light as he himself is in the light, and here's, what, here's, here's something that shows up when we're walking in the light. We got fellowship with one another. In other words, me and you can do life together because we're walking in the light. I don't have to walk alone in the light. I'm walking with the community in the light. And the blood of Jesus is doing his work. In other words, walk this thing out. Live a surrendered life for him. Give up everything for him. I was talking to a family member last night. I was talking about the things of God, and I'm talking about salvation, and talking about our lives, and our family, and our history, and where we come from. And I told him this statement. I said, I believe in what Jesus has said, and I've bet my whole life on that. I've put all my chips in on that. My life only makes sense on the crux of what Jesus has said. Somebody this morning needs to go all in. We need to walk this thing out and experience the fullness of what Christ offers. We need to surrender our life to Christ. What does that look like? In short, it's where we're going this series. It looks like stuff like having a prayer life. One of the ways I know I'm walking surrendered to Christ is that I talk to him. Not just do stuff for him. Part of the ways I know I'm walking in a surrendered life is that I'm I'm digging in the scriptures. I'm I'm, I'm getting that as my necessary food. One of the ways I know I'm I'm walking in the light is that I'm generous. I I, I give. I'm a giver, is what I do. So I'll give my my talents, I'll give my, my, my time, I'll give my treasure. I won't won't hoard money over my affections for Jesus. I'll use money for Jesus. One of the ways, watch this, one of the ways I know that I'm walking in the light is that I belong to his body. I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. I am under authority of the church that he's put here for me, and I submit to that authority. One of the ways I know I'm walking with him is I belong to his body. Lastly, another way I know I belong to him is I tell people about him. If you don't tell people about Jesus, if you don't share your faith, if you let fear rob you of sharing the good news, maybe your news ain't good, but mine is. We have a living Savior who died on the cross for us so that we may be bought into his family. And we are the sons of God because of what Jesus has done. That is good news. And whether my, my account hits a million or two million or three million at retirement, I'm his son. And no matter if I get married or don't get married, I'm his son. If I have kids or I don't have kids, I'm still his son. I'm betting my whole life on that. If one thing that I don't want to lose, I'll lose stuff. I'll even lose relationships, but I don't want to lose my affection for Jesus. And if a relationship is trying to steal my affection, I'd rather lose the relationship. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can't control the test. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know how long it'll last. You don't know how hard it'll be. But what you can control is your reactions and your discipline to the one that has given it all for you.